0: Hear the word of the Lord from the Savior of this world. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated if you would. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way Lord Jesus we thank you for your willingness to come to earth for your sacrifice while you are here for your resurrection and ascension rolling in power we thank you and we praise you that one of the many gifts that you have given to us is your word that we might hear understand follow and obey make it so Lord we pray even today we ask In your name we ask, amen. I went to college uh, here in the Pittsburgh area, and so it was a bit of a surprise for me one day when uh, 30-some years ago or whatever, I was in college. I was in the cafeteria spending some time there uh, between classes, and lo and behold, I look up, and here's my uncle walking through the cafeteria to me. Uh, Now, my uncle grew up, I mean, lives uh, on the other side of Cleveland, Uh, He had some clients that he would drive around to visit, and so it wasn't a horrid surprise to see him, but I didn't expect to see him on campus and to see me and stuff like that, and he came over to the table, and uh, of course we chatted and had a good conversation. Now, I had some classes on the back end of uh, of my lunchtime, so unfortunately I couldn't stay with him for long, so I went ahead and thanked him for visiting, etc., and went ahead and went to class, etc. It was only later... Uh, that I realized that my uncle had heard through the grapevine, the family grapevine, that I had, had a bad couple of weeks at campus and stuff like that, and he made an intentional choice to drive across just to see me on that particular day, hunted me down and found me in the cafeteria. And I have to tell you that that radically shifted the way I would have interacted with my uncle if I would have known that. Now, I don't get to see my uncle all that often, only one or two times a year. And so it was a great joy to see him. And I, of course, expressed gratitude that he came to see me. But in my mind, he was basically just visiting on his way through doing the work in which he was doing. It was kind of accidental that he showed up. And my response was gratitude, but it was a mingled gratitude. It was gratitude based upon the fact that he was kind of going out of his way, but not really going out of his way. How different it would have been if I would have realized that my uncle came to me specifically and targeted intentionally coming to me because he knew that I was in a position of needing the kind of family background and support that he could su- supply. Once I realized that, of course, it was a little too late. He'd already left, and it was uh, weeks down the road before I was able to get to him and really then express to him How much I appreciated once I realized the real reason why he came. We are in the Advent series, uh, Advent season. During this Advent season here at Hebron, we are looking at the reason behind Jesus being the reason for the season. We all recognize that Christmas would not be much if it were not for the fact of Christ's birth, and we gather and we celebrate it, and you've got the family, uh, family gatherings, the lights, the glitter, all the things in which we appropriately celebrate, but all of those center somewhat around Jesus Christ, and if you're in this church at this time, probably you recognize that. Christ is, of course, the reason for the season, um, but we've been exploring why that is. What is it about Christ coming to earth that is so distinctive that we should celebrate it in such a massive way in which we do. Like my uncle, if we misunderstand the purpose for Christ's coming, we will limit our uh, response. Our response to Christ's coming will not be what it should be. And so we are exploring what it is, the reason for Christ's coming to earth. Now, the way we're approaching this is by taking Jesus' own words. We are looking through the text at different spots where Jesus says, here is the reason why I came. Now, it's obviously much later in his ministry, not when he was first born, but he had an awareness of why he came to earth, and he tells us that in a very series of different statements. Last week, we looked at the first part of this verse. We looked at it in a parallel chapter in a parallel uh, gospel where Mark uses this very same phrase. Here in Matthew, uses the phrase where he says, Look, this is the reason why I came. I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Last week, we looked at the first half of that, that Christ came not to be served, but to serve. And we looked at a a number of different aspects of of what it means that Christ came to serve. Today, we're going to look at the second half of the statement, to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, if you just look at the verse itself, you can kind of think that what Jesus is doing is he's identifying two different reasons. Uh, Here's the reason why I came. First, not to be served, but to serve. And secondly, to give my life as a a ransom for many. The the verse reads that way, where you've got that and in the middle, and it kind of looks like it's a conjunction that joins two different ideas. The first idea being that Jesus came to serve. The second idea that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. I think we could look at it that way. But I suspect what Jesus actually had in mind is not two different ideas, that he came to serve first, and then he came secondly to give his life as a ransom for many, but rather what he's saying is, look, I came to serve, and here's what I mean by that. I came to give my life as a ransom for many. In other words, the second part of this verse, what we're going to look at today, is not just an additional reason why Jesus came, but rather it's an exclamation or it's, a, it's a, uh, an elaboration on the first part of the reason why he said that he came. He came to serve. Okay, what does that service look like? Look, we are incredibly grateful for the teachings that Jesus gave. Uh, we spend lots of time in the Scriptures looking exactly at Jesus' teachings because they teach us so very much. The example that Jesus set the healings that he gave, the, uh, the way in which he lived his life, all of those things are wonderful blessings that we benefit from. They are all part of the way in which he served us. But the ultimate way in which he served us, I think is captured in this last half of this verse, that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. What we're going to do is that we're going to walk through this that last half of that verse, and we're basically going to look at four different characteristics, four different things that stand out, and it runs right along with the verse. First, Jesus came to give. Secondly, he came to give his life. Third, he came to give his life as a ransom. And fourth, he came to give his life as a ransom for many. So we're going to look at the fact that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, the reason why, again, we are pursuing this is, the intent that we recognize appropriately the purpose for Christmas. Christmas can be celebrated for a whole lot of reasons, and it should be celebrated for a whole lot of reasons. But again, if we misunderstand the purpose, it will radically shift and change the way in which we respond. The, the goal of, of today for us is to check ourselves when we leave this worship service together, is how do I respond to my Lord. How do I respond to Jesus? You can keep that in the back of your mind as we look at this passage. Again, Jesus begins by saying that he has come to not to be served, but to serve. And what does he mean by that? To give his life as a ransom for many. To give. Now, we can just quickly run over that and miss some of the import behind it. Because the Bible goes out of its way to make us understand, and Jesus himself identifies it numerous times when he says, look, nobody takes my life from me. I freely give it up. Jesus is not here an unwilling victim of things that have taken place, nor is the cross of Christ simply an a aspect of fate or just something that kind of happened, and lo and behold, because the cross happened, we get to benefit through salvation. That None of those things occur. Over and over again, the scripture identify that Jesus came intentionally to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, that his coming to earth overwhelmingly has the characteristic of a gift. And we respond differently. We should respond differently to a gift. Again, my understanding that my uncle was visiting clients and just happened to come by and see me at school, that made me grateful to my uncle. But it was very different in my mind when I realized how intentional his actions were. And that's what we understand from the scriptures, that Jesus came as an intentional act to give us a gift, to give us something, that this is a willful action on his part, It is not something where he is swept up in the tide of history and the cross just naturally happens to him or that the cross is somehow something that was imposed upon him. The cross of our Lord is an intentional gift that he has given to us. Now, recognize a little bit of the gift character of this in terms of our response. Many of you work for a living, And at the end of the week, we receive our pay, and we are grateful for it. If you've got any sense of self reflection, you are grateful that you have the job that you have, that you work that you have, that you have the ability to work, that you get the income that you have, et cetera, et cetera. But your response is tempered by the fact that you worked for that money. You respond to a wage differently than you respond to a gift, and you respond to an intentional gift differently than you respond to an accidental gift. If you're walking along the street someday and you find a $100 bill, you know, you pick it up, you look around, see if anybody's dropped it, nobody has, wonderful, so what do you think? You know, you're, you're, you're grateful, you're excited, you're happy, you know, you feel like you're the luckiest person around, isn't this great, I've got $100, but if somebody who knows you And who loves you comes to you and intentionally gives you $100, your response is hugely different. Again, it's the same $100, you've gotten the same gift. But when it comes with the intention, with the willfulness of a beloved gift, you respond so utterly and completely, you should respond so completely differently to the gift. And so it is when Christ here says, look, here's the reason why I came. I came to give. And our response to the Lord is shaped by the fact that he came to give as a gift. He came to give what? He came to give his life. Now, again, if you've been in church for any period of time, you realize that the cross is in the background here. Uh, Indeed, our sermon series as a whole, the Christmas journey to the cross. We recognize that Christmas is connected to the cross, and so it's no uh, it's a great surprise if you're familiar with the Christian teaching that the thing that Jesus gives most, likely, most overwhelmingly is, the cro- uh, is his life. He has come to give his life. But we need to slow down a little bit when we think about this. You cannot give that which you do not have. You cannot give what you do not have. Christ here is the possessor of life, but not just existence. When we think of life, if, if God forbid you ever had to give your life for mine or I ever had to give my life for yours, it would be, a, you know, my existence, my, my uh, being alive. We, we understand a little bit of what that means. But our lives are shaped and molded totally and completely not simply by the sin that affects us from the outside, but also from the sin that shapes us and molds us from the inside. Our existence is a mixed bag, a mixed bag of the blessings of God and the depravity of sin that so utterly shapes us and molds us. Not so with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is pure life. He had that life that reflected the way that God created us to be. He had that real life. And when we say that Christ gave his life as a ransom for many, we are talking about he gave not simply his existence, but he gave his perfect existence. And this, of course, shapes so powerfully the value of the gift It is not just, how how do you put a a price tag? How do you describe the value of any individual giving their life for another individual? We we reflect upon this in in our Veterans Day, those who have sacrificed themselves in those kind of ways for us, and well, we should. But here, what we are talking with Jesus Christ is not simply his giving of his life, but the giving of that perfect life. the the whole complete life that Christ lived, that he gave for us, the value of that is huge. Once again, our gratitude, our response to the Lord, shaped not simply by the fact that we are given a gift, but it's shaped by the immensity of the value of the gift. A lot of us go through the Christmas season and, we're, and, and when we think about Jesus, as we should, we're grateful that he came to earth. But our gratitude that he came to earth needs to be tied to the value of the gift that he ends up giving. He gave his life as a ransom for many. He gave his life as a ransom. Now, I don't know about you, um, but as soon as I think of ran- when I hear the word ransom, I immediately jump to kidnapping. Um, i don't know why i've never been kidnapped or anything like that but um, my assumption is whenever i hear ransom i understand it as a payment that functions within the context of a kidnapping idea and and that can be in the back of your head a little bit Um, but that isn't exactly the context that jesus uses when he uses this term the term ransom uh, when Jesus uses it, the context in which it happens within the culture in which he operated it in was not so much kidnapping or something like that. It very much uh, was in the picture of a captive during warfare. Uh, how do you gain back a prisoner of war who has uh, been captured during warfare? So here's the idea. Uh, two kings go to war against each other and they gather around them, their subjects, you know, princes, nobles, those kind of people that are going to fight for them. Now, just his uh, historical reality, um, that there was a lot less killing on the battlefields pre-1400s or so than there is today. And that is because the mentality of a battlefield for most of the soldiers was not to kill the other guy, but it was to capture the other guy. And so you won the battle when you captured more people than the other guy captured. Now, I'm not making light of the warfare that took place uh, pre-Middle Ages. It was as barbaric as you can imagine. I don't want to downplay that. Um, But one of the primary goals was to capture people, to capture them alive, because then what you could do is you'd sell them back to the king. You would ransom them back to the king. So what Jesus is saying here is when he says that he has come to give his life as a ransom... He is identifying you and me as being captives. We are captives to what? Well, the scripture does a good job of articulating our relationship to sin that so indwells us and controls us as that we are slaves to sin. What does a slave do? A slave is forced to do his master's bidding. And that's the imagery that is so frequent in the Scriptures about our relationship to the indwelling sin that resides within us, that drives us and forces us. Now, sometimes we're conscious of the work, that we are doing that which we really don't want to do. And sometimes we're not conscious of it at all. We are simply going about serving the work of our master, the indwelling sin within our hearts that is distorting us and driving us further and further away from our Lord. And Jesus says that he has come to serve as a ransom, that he has come to buy us out of that slavery to sin. Ransom had two different pictures the first is, it was a payment given to get somebody out of captivity. But the second is, once that person comes out of captivity, they are not simply set free. If you're the, the king, sin in this instance, that holds fast to an individual, and Christ comes and redeems that individual, the individual just isn't pushed out the dungeon doors and says, okay, now go live your life, do whatever you want to do. That's not the picture of a ransom. When you're ransomed, you are returned to your original allegiance. You are returned to the one who has ransomed you. The, the, the captive goes from being trapped in their sin to then being freed from that captivity, but freed back to service to their original lord they're not freed to do anything they want they're freed back to serve their original lord who has ransomed them so when jesus says here that he has come as a ransom he is identifying the fact that he is the payment that is given for those who are captives captives to their sin He has come to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, The word for in there, the, the picture is here is on behalf of or in place of. There is very much so the exchange kind of an idea that our Lord is paying his life so that we don't have to pay our lives. And yet he is paying it for us. For who? Who are the many? The many are us. The many are those of us who are willing and and able to acknowledge three characteristics, three traits. First, that we are captives. Not that humanity as a whole is captive to sin. Not the fact that our society as a whole is captive to the depravity that is existing around us, but that I, that you, singular, are one of those who separated from Jesus Christ are captive in their sin. You cannot appreciate the coming of Jesus Christ without wrapping yourself around his purpose statement that he has come to serve as a ransom, and that ransom is because you are captive to your sin. You are in bondage to your sin, apart from Jesus Christ. Secondly, that no matter what you do, you cannot affect your captivity at all. The getting out of bondage Is not a question of you working hard. It's not a question of you doing the right things. It's not a question of you believing the right things. Getting out of bondage has nothing to do with you. All you can do is plead to your king that he would ransom you. We are in bondage to our sin. We can do nothing about our bondage. And finally, that when we are ransomed, We are ransomed not to live the life we want. We are ransomed from one master so that we might faithfully and eagerly serve another master. If you don't have this picture in mind, then you miss this tremendous purpose statement that Jesus gives when he says, I have come to give my life as a gift to ransom many who are trapped in bondage. What's our response? What is your response to hearing of the ransom work of our Lord? Now, there's got to be gratitude. We've talked about that this whole way through. There's got to be a sense of gratitude when we recognize the incredible value of the Lord's life and the extent of his ransom that he has paid us. Okay, that's built into the system. But what is our response when we realize that we have been freed from bondage to sin and we are freed to service to our Lord? Now, this is where the disconnect comes in so often in my life and in the lives of the people that I minister with. They realize what Christ did. They are able to articulate it. They're able to identify the personal implications of it in their lives. And yet somehow, it does not flow into the expression of everything that they do. What part of your life was not captive to sin when you were chained in the dungeon of the darkness of the evil one? Every part of your life was taken from you. What part of your life does our Lord free and then turn into service towards himself? Every part of your life. What can you not give to the one who freely and willfully has given you that gift? The gift of immense, immeasurable value His own life, so that you might be brought out of captivity to sin and be brought into faithful service to our Lord. Lord God, you know how desperately I want to be a man and how desperately I want to be surrounded by men and women here who fully and completely give our lives to the one who has given his life for us. Father, we thank you that in your plan, in your provision, you have given us life and life eternal, that you have blessed us with that life that is only, could only be ours through the sacrifice of your Son. Holy Spirit, the conviction that we need to feel about the salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ is only possible if you work powerfully in this place. Spirit, move powerfully, we pray, that all of us would sense that conviction and turn with gratitude and love to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray, amen.